There's plenty to celebrate in March and craft month with the perfect pizza at home class from craftsy and anytime is right to listen to iheart radio's iheart country radio discover more shows and movies for free martha stewart the original influencer when i think about anything i think about the way that she did it first the media mogul the six years ahead she saw what was coming the prisoner the rise the fall and the reinvention of an American icon. Once Martha paved the road, everybody else pretty much copied her. A CNN original series, The Many Lives of Martha Stewart, now streaming on Max. Billie Eilish and Phineas O'Connell, they're with us today on Crew Call. I'm your host, Anthony D'Alessandro. Billie's vocals, it was automatic art. You know, I had to like choose a more challenging route than just like da 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 you know what i'm saying like it could have been like easier and a lot of people have asked me like how did you choose to have it be so soft and like so simple and what else was it gonna like that's what the song wanted thanks for listening to this episode of the crew call podcast on deadline ridiculous news is a production of iHeartRadio and cool 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 audio With amazing and crazy topics to pick and to choose, you are now tuned in to Ridiculous News. With interesting views on breaking the rules of broadcasting and all sorts of wild reports to keep us laughing. With funny off-brand upbeat journalism, the strange and unusual stories of what we give them. When it's all about ridiculous news everywhere, we talking about ridiculous news over here. Hey everyone, welcome to Ridiculous News. Not your average news show. We cover stuff you didn't realize was news, from the wild and funny to the deep and hidden to the absolutely ridiculous. I'm Mark Kendall. I'm an Atlanta-based comedian, and I had tacos for lunch, so things are off to a pretty good start. And today is a weekly roundup episode where we're going to be discussing headlines that caught our eye recently. Now, this week, uh, Bill uh, is out of town uh, this week doing awesome things. We'll miss him, but we have an amazing special guest. You've uh, met her before, Marietta Mendler. She's back i'm so happy that she's here Woo-hoo! Marietta, what's up? Woo-hoo! <laughs> <laughs> oh i'm so happy to be here this is so exciting it, it's great to have you back Marietta. i'm so excited to have you back on the podcast and i'm really excited uh to talk about some stories with you me too but before we hop into those stories uh we're going to start off with a segment that we do for all our guests and it's called uh giving them their flowers so this is a moment where i'm going to give you a compliment uh it's very fun i enjoy doing it so marietta i was thinking about uh what compliment i wanted to give you for today's episode and the one that i thought about i'm I'm, I'm excited about this one is like you bring people together you know what i mean like you bring people together either like by introducing people or telling people about uh, different spots that exist to go check out other cool people. Like, for example, I'll give you a quick example of the ways that you connect people <laughs> either directly or indirectly. All right. So here's a way that you indirectly brought people together. So you were telling me about this really cool open mic. You're like, oh, Mark, got to check out this cool open mic. There's a lot of music. There's different acts there. You got to go. And then I went there and I saw someone else that I knew. And I'm like, oh, I heard about this from Marietta. And they're like, I heard about this from Marietta. And then we hung out, <laughs> had a great time. You know, it's like, because it's you brought people together. Or like sometimes like, you know, we'll be hanging out after a show. You'll be interest- introducing me to all these cool people. And it's really great seeing where you bring these people from. You might be like, 
oh, Mark, this is uh, another comedian friend of mine, or it's like, oh, this is my neighbor, or, you know, say like, you just bring people <laughs> from the community together, and the way you're able to unify people, I think is inspiring, and I think it's just a great quality that you have. Thank you so much. I do want everyone to meet everybody else and also go to all of the comments. <laughs> <laughs> it's awesome. It's awesome. All right. So now uh, we're going to move on to our next segment called Ridiculous News Nibbles. And so these are just like kind of some quick, uh, interesting headlines uh, that we found recently. So the first one, Marietta, is about Tesla. Okay. So there's a Tesla driver uh, that has found the perfect place to keep his car key which is implanted in his hand. So he's had a tiny chip inserted into his right hand. And this guy is named Brandon DeLally. And uh, he shared a video on social media of having this VivoKey Apex chip implanted by a professional piercer. And the chip is contactless and covered in a biocompatible substance, which uses the same near-field communication, also known as NFC apparently, that makes Apple Pay possible. And so it was a quick $400 procedure. And this person, they used the back of their hand to unlock the Tesla. And he told media site Tesla Roddy that this chip isn't even his first implant, which I thought was especially interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I knew that you could do that for if you have a lost animal, but I didn't know if you could do that mm -hmm. if you have like a lost... How, is there a button on it so that you could beep it if you get lost in like um the parking lot? You know, like I know, what if right? you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or what if someone's holding your hand and then they start the car? I don't know. Yeah, it's wild. No, that's a great question because I mean, it's just like yes, I use the keys to my car to both open and close the door to open the door, I guess, and then to start the car. But yeah, I also use it to like beep it in case I'm at a parking lot and I forget exactly where I parked. I'm, I'm curious how they initiate those functions. Maybe that's on their phone. I, I don't know. Also, I wonder how we went from like key fob to hand <laughs> instead of like maybe key fob to like pocket, right. you know, like mm -hmm. maybe put it in your pants. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Your pants, your phone, or even like yeah. an attachment to your house key, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That would even be more because you still probably have a house key unless you also beep boops into all doors. Well, Marietta, that's actually kind of funny that you said that because I mentioned that this was not his first uh, implant and he has a smaller chip implanted in his left hand that stores his contact and medical information and the key to his house. And so there's a quote from him saying, the whole idea was that I would have my house key in my left hand and my car key in my right hand. What? Yeah. Yeah. It just blows my mind. <laughs> I just, I've also like, what happens if you like hurt your finger? Then it's like so much more expensive than just getting a new key. Or what if you want a key for a friend? Yeah. yeah, I don't know. Like, so the article goes on to say that in the Tesla Roddy report, Delali laughed at the concerns he's heard from viewers of the video online where he got this implant. Uh, and they're kind of just fearing for his safety. Uh, he responded with, the company that put this together literally has its own app store where you can wirelessly install apps into your body with these chips. Uh, they went on to say, we're at the dawn of this technology and it's a very niche product. 
I agree with that. That definitely sounds kind of neat. Yeah. <laughs> I can't think of many other apps that I would want implanted into my body. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like I don't know if I need GPS on your finger might be helpful if like your finger just was like, now go right. <laughs> That's true. Like even just a life GPS. I'm sure that someone's developing this, you know. Where it's just like a life yeah. GPS in general, like, you know, this room, leave this room, go to the other room, you, you know, like yeah. Yeah. <laughs> a time management chip would be kind of cool. Um, yeah. Yes. 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 Or like one, oh, could it control parts of your body? So then it, like you need a break from looking at screens mm. and then the chip in your eyelids is like, c- close those eyes right. or go to bed. Yeah. <laughs> <Just> <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. You know, the the chip technology definitely very interesting and I and I get that it will probably become more and more part of everyday life. I guess there's just something about the invasive nature of it in my mind. I think of it as invasive or I'm yeah. less interested in it. You know, just this is just personally maybe talking from a place of fear a little bit. But you know, it's like I'm I'm a little less interested in it. For example, like I think about like oh, what would I really want a chip for that would really help, you know, and I think like, oh, it'd be nice if there was a chip, you know, you talked about screen time, like, oh, maybe if there's a chip that capped my spending or something like that. Uh, oh, yeah. But it's like, I feel like that chip could just exist on my card, you, you know, like, yeah. or, or I don't know. I don't know. What, what do you think? What, is there is there yeah. a chip that you would seriously consider getting or maybe a chip that doesn't exist yet that you really wish does in the future? Hmm. I think that well, having the chips makes me just think of like the animal chips that, uh, like, you know, if you lose your cat, right. then it does make me think that maybe someday instead of having keys, he could just have a cat <laughs> that he just puts to the car <laughs> instead. <laughs> but then like, what if there were just like loose, loose cats and right. all the cats were keys, right. you know? Whoa. Right. Whoa. Yeah. That's a. That would be an adventure. That's, um, <laughs> that's pretty ingenious. Like, what you said just makes me think of, like, hey, you're on a trip. So you go to Enterprise, rent a car. And they're like, all right, great. So here's your car key, you know, and it's a dog, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and then the dog barks, and then you hear a beep, beep, and it's like, oh, you got the Hyundai Sonata, the Golden Retriever Hyundai Sonata combo, you know? Like,. <laughs> Or it's just like you have the poodle Jeep Wrangler combo. You know what I'm saying? Like, pretty cool. Pretty cool. That would be really silly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Well, switching gears a little bit, we got another story. Uh, I thought this story was really uh, interesting as well. So, uh, so this comes out of The Guardian, and the headline is uh, Strippers are standing up. Uh, Los Angeles dancers move to unionize with actors group. So dancers at a Los Angeles strip club have filed to unionize with Actors' Equity Association, a move that would make them the first group of strippers to join the national union uh, that represents theater actors. I thought that was really great. That's so good. I love a union. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so a little bit more information is uh, performers at Star Garden in North Hollywood submitted a petition on Wednesday with the National Labor Relations Board seeking a union election. The initiative comes after months of staging protests outside the venue raising concerns about workplace safety and labor rights. Actress Equity 
which represents Broadway actors, stage managers, Disney World performers, and other regional actors, or other regional theater actors, rather, said it was supporting the effort and that if it is successful, the Star Garden workers would become the only strippers in the U.S. represented by a union. That should go nationwide. That's long overdue. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, Antonia Crane, uh, founder of Strippers United, a group that has worked with the Star Garden strippers, said the union petition sent a powerful message, uh, quote, we're no longer going to be discriminated against, oppressed, coerced, assaulted or robbed on the shop floor. Strippers are standing up and resisting. Uh, she said she has been waiting years for this kind of victory. Uh, quote, strippers sit at the crossroads of several kinds of oppression, uh, complete powerlessness in the workplace and facing a culture of intimidation, misogyny, orphobia, racism. Uh, this is a really important moment for labor and for feminism, end quote. That's a very good quote. And I feel like this uh, is good momentum. I mean, on the podcast over the past year or so, we've seen more and more stories about different unions, you know, in places where they didn't exist previously. And so it seems like hopefully, you know, that momentum is continuing to build in more and more in varied workspaces. Absolutely. That's so exciting. Yeah. And it's so exciting when you see it in one place. And then I know that it can spread like wildfire, which is so wonderful. I think that's a big thing too, right? It's just like, I think a lot of it, well, not to oversimplify it, but I think something that can be really helpful is like you see someone doing something and then that lets you know that it's possible and then that sets a roadmap, you know, and then like more momentum can build. So I hope that this gets as much attention as it can. So that, like you said, it, it continues just to, just to agree with what you were saying. Absolutely. Yeah. So good. We're going to take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsor. There's plenty to celebrate in March and craft month with the perfect pizza at home class from craftsy and anytime is right to listen to iheart radio's iheart country radio discover more shows and movies for free smart journalism fascinating topics Words that describe CNN's podcast, The Assignment with Audie Cornish. We are revisiting the public school culture wars. What have we learned from the kids who fought against book bans? We really started the club to get students reading these books. Students have an opinion in this fight, too. How has the war over books sparked a backlash to the so-called parents' rights movement? It's not okay what they're doing, and they're being watched. Listen to The Assignment with Audie Cornish, streaming now on the iHeartRadio app. Billie Eilish and Phineas O'Connell, they're with us today on Crew Call. I'm your host, Anthony D'Alessandro. Billie's vocals, it was automatic art. You know, I had to like choose a more challenging route than just like, da 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 da. You know what I'm saying? Like, it could have been like easier. And a lot of people have asked me, like, how did you choose to have it be so soft and like so simple? And what else was it gonna like? That's what the song wanted. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Crew Call podcast on Deadline. With amazing and crazy topics for picking to choose, you are now tuned in to Ridiculous News. Okay, so we're back. And Marietta, I'm really excited to talk about this next story. This comes from an article in the New York Times from a little while ago. And I love the headline. It's Pigs to the Rescue. 
an invasive species helps save Australia's crocodiles. All right. So the saltwater or the estuarine, I may be mispronouncing that. Basically, <laughs> the, the saltwater crocodile, okay, it has lived for millions of years in Australia. And the feral pig arrived in Australia with the first European settle, settlers in the late 18th century. And scientists blame feral pigs and other invasive species for widespread habitat loss and for Australia having the world's highest rate of mammal extinctions. However, what is interesting about this article is that it seems that the hogs are now helping the crocodile population. So some scientists are hoping that the encounters between the crocodiles and the swine may be the first sign that the feral pig an invasive species that has done great damage to Australia's wild terrain has finally met its match. So the, the instances may also help to explain why crocodiles are doing so well. According to a recent study, uh, Dr. Campbell and other researchers published in the journal biology letters. So the story of saltwater crocodile and the dietary change that drove us uh, recovery began in 1971. So this is what I found like fascinating. This stuff, I, I, I don't know how this works. So starting in 1971 uh, is when the change of crocodile population started, okay? So around the time of World War II, towards the end of World War II, there were like 100,000 saltwater crocodiles. However, by 1971, there were barely 3,000, right? So that's like a 97% decrease, basically. And so this species of crocodile was in danger of extinction. Uh, but in the decade after the hunting ban, there was a culling program that sig significantly reduced the numbers of wild buffalo, uh, which was another invasive species. And so that this, in turn, expanded the ecological niche available to feral pigs. Okay? So this cause and effect is just, like, wild, all right? <laughs> So, these pigs were smaller and more shy than buffaloes, and the pigs were much more difficult to cull, and their population grew rapidly. And so, they were in greater numbers, and they became a ready food source for the crocodiles. Isn't that something? I'd be like... It's so unpredictable, and like at first when I saw the headline, I was like, they became friends. Like, did the pigs gather food for the crocodiles? I was wondering. But then, the same no, thing. the pigs became the food. And then, also very interesting that they're described as shy, but also feral. <laughs> That's a dichotomy I wish to straddle as well. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. So, yeah. So, cut to today. There are now an estimated 100,000 <laughs> wild saltwater crocodiles. So, now we're back to like World War II numbers in the Northern Territory. We're back. Yeah, we're back, baby. And Dr. <laughs> Campbell, we're back. And, and, and Dr. Campbell said, if it wasn't for the availability of the feral pigs in the environment, the population wouldn't have recovered to the same level that they have. And so the study noted that the recovery in saltwater crocodile numbers has been slower in areas where there are no feral pigs and where no dietary shift could occur. Wow. So yeah. people were probably thinking, we're doing great. We're getting rid of these feral pigs. But actually, no, they were just hurting. But also, interesting that they do want 
hundreds of thousands of crocodiles, you know? That's also <laughs> something. I, I feel like we get the number of crocodiles. I mean, but I respect the ecosystem. I'm glad they're there. But also, uh, do I want to go to Australia? I, that's a lot of crocodiles. Oh, you make that's a great a point. You make a great point. <laughs> yeah. I don't think it's fair, but you know how Australia, I don't know if you've heard this, but sometimes I feel like when I talk with people about Australia, it has this reputation of having just like a lot of dangerous things, you know, like a lot of dangerous yeah. Like you look at a kangaroo, those kangaroo are jacked. Like I've seen so many scary videos of just like kangaroos just hopping around looking to brawl, you know? Yeah, they're just ready to punch. Ready and- to punch? Yeah. Mm-mm. Yeah, no, exactly. No. Or like, Or like these, you know, when there's a bug that I don't recognize, I get afraid just because I don't recognize them. They're like, oh, it's in Australia, you know? And then you hear about these saltwater crocodile and they're just like, we need, we need 100,000 crocodiles. <laughs> yeah, so maybe they do need the crocodiles to take care of like the next level scary creature. Well, you know, honestly, like that's, a, that's an interesting question. Like that's an interesting question just because looking, going through this article, you'll say like, okay, so they got, they, they called this, population so that up this population this population goes up makes this thing go down so surely with crocodiles increasing in their population size over the past several decades that had to have other consequences you know i don't know what those are yeah mm -hmm. yeah yeah um and all i know is when i go to australia i'm gonna bring a couple feral pigs with me (laughs) 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 give them to crocodiles i come across (laughs) Uh, They'll let me take it on the plane. I'll find a couple. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they they're shy. They make a great animal. Maybe yeah. I'll put my car key inside of a pig. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, Marietta uh, and listeners, you may not know this, but ridiculous news: we have like a pond in Studio Pond uh, where you know water creatures can come and visit. And Marietta, it looks like <laughs> to your right there. I, I can't oh. tell, but it looks like that's a saltwater crocodile that came to say hello. So do you want to maybe like open the latch? So it, it is. Yes, through? I would love to. I would love to creak. Oh, hey there, Marietta. Hey, Mark. <laughs> it's me, Chris the Croc. Chris the Croc in the game. Yes. Ah, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I'm a 90-year-old crocodile. I've been around. I've seen a lot. I've seen ups, downs, you know, and not just talking about water currents. You know what I'm saying? You know, back 50 years ago in the 70s, I was just like a 20-something-year-old, or I forget, age is nothing but a number, but 50 years ago, you know, our numbers were dwindling, and as the article says, you know, we needed a change. So first off, they stopped hunting us with guns and and, and whatever other weapons they were using to hunt us down. That was great, you know? But something else that's been great is we've been eating nothing but bacon since 1971, (laughs) and it's been amazing. Yeah. I'm here to do a victory lap, basically. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds so good. I bet you have a lot of really good recipes over from, like, the World War II era yeah. to now. Absolutely. Marietta, I'm so glad you asked that because that's exactly <laughs> what I came to talk about. So first thing, as I mentioned earlier, of course, I want to talk about bacon. All right? So bacon. Yeah. Uh, one thing about bacon is that it's, like, it's more than just a breakfast item. You can eat that breakfast, lunch, dinner. And the cool thing about Australian, if you go to Australia and you have bacon Mm -hmm. with a crocodile, which I recommend you do, (laughs) all right? It's not safe, (laughs) 
but it's delicious, okay? <laughs> the thing that we like to do is when we get our bacon, we take our bacon slices and we let them marinate over time in the salt water. You know what I'm saying? We let it marinate oh. in the salt water and it gets nice nice and brine. It's a, it's a wonderful brine for the meat. Then you cook it or you don't. I eat all my meat raw, but it's like I understand humans cook, you know? Mm. You cook that up, you know what I'm saying? And it is a great, it's a great feature of any meal. So maybe you like your eggs with your bacon. Maybe you like bacon on a cheeseburger. But maybe, hey, have you ever had bacon and cake? If you ever want to feel like a royal, royal, a royal, someone in royalty, have bacon uh-huh. and cake. Have dessert and a treat at the same time. <laughs> try it. Don't know it till you try it, you know? I got to try it. Yeah. I got to try it. I got to find some of those shy pigs. And I bet that... The, their emotional state has a big impact on the bacon. Right, right. You know, it does. It does. And, you know, hey, it's the food chain. The animal kingdom is a little vicious. I'm not going to lie. You know, it is It is. It is tough for me. Some of these pigs are my friends, you know. But it's just yeah. like at the end of the day, they understand it's the food chain. I will say shy pigs taste a little better than the ones that are like super confident. <laughs> super talkative <laughs> mainly just because like you build more of a relationship with them and there's that guilt when you're eating it but you know like my friend harry he was pretty shy pretty reserved i was like hey harry you know can i borrow your hbo max subscription i want to watch house <laughs> of dragon and he sort of like passive aggressively said like sure i guess but you, you know what i mean made me feel bad about borrowing it so i turned him into bacon the next day you know and um <laughs> That's just kind of how it is. There's other things you can make with pigs. Though. I mean, bacon, of course, that's probably one of the more famous ways that people like to eat their hog. But, you know, mm-hmm. pork belly is another great one. Pork belly. Yeah. You know, pulled pork is summertime. If you're, you know, putting together a barbecue with some friends, having some pulled pork is great. You could put pulled pork on some nachos. You could put pulled pork for Ooh. some, like, barbecue pulled pork uh, sliders. You know what I mean? Yeah, have it with some... I tried to make an Australian reference to, um, what do you have? Marmite? Vegemite. Oh, oh vet- Beep? Uh, we might have both. Have I, is it Vegemite? <laughs> I'm not sure. I think I regret it. I regret <laughs> Well, listen, Maria, you should regret nothing. Something that I've learned since 1971, which is the amount of time that I've been cooking with bacon, is you got to try things. You got to experiment things. So you got to experiment things. So, hey, if you are moved to try some Vegemite and, and some bacon or something like some Vegemite and some, and, some, and some pork belly, I'd encourage you to try it because you won't know if it's the wrong path to go down until you try it, you know? Uh, well, I got to go because we have a phrase in Australia. And by we, I mean me and me alone. And I don't mean to represent the people or crocodiles of Australia in any way negatively. But anyway, I'll go ahead and say it. We have a phrase in Australia, which is, it's always lunchtime. So I'm going to hop back down in the water and get me some more okay. pigs. All right, so I'm going to go. There you go. Boom. Wow, so that was really interesting hearing from that crocodile, Marietta. Yeah. Yeah, he was like the... The Guy Fieri of the ocean. He was the Guy Fieri. <laughs> That's so true. That's so true. Um, there are a couple other quick facts I wanted to share from this article that I thought were interesting. Uh, so Dr. Campbell, you know, who's been uh, quoted in this article, they also said that we believe that crocodiles are making a difference by creating barriers to movement by the feral pigs. So you can imagine if you were a pig in the Northern Territory, 
you probably wouldn't try and swim across the Mary River because you won't get to the other side. So apparently, with these crocodiles eating these pigs, it is also in some way, perhaps positively, from what I can ascertain from that quote, it sounds positive, or it seems to be um, helping control the spread of the feral hogs, which is interesting. It's like natural fencing. Mm -hmm. Yes. Why use a fence when you have a crocodile moat <laughs> that's what evil overlords have been saying since day one yeah, yeah yeah truly yeah um the article goes on to mention that the study of australian saltwater crocodiles is among the first to be able to confirm that apex predators can benefit from large populations of invasive prey species and i thought that was really interesting oh and it goes on to say that it's not just something that they found in Australia. So there are other examples around the world. So for example, hogs may have saved Florida panthers from extinction. Uh, and this is a quote from Mark Lotz, who's a partner biologist with the Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission. Uh, apparently the cats had always preferred white-tailed deer, uh, but they were culled in the 1930s to control uh, ticks that sicken cattle. Isn't that wild? So then with deer, in decline, the only place panthers remained was in southern Florida, where there was a sizable hog population. Whoa, yeah. these hogs are really the martyrs of the animal world. I know. They're like, we're just going to keep you alive. We're going to keep you alive. We're going to, they should, they could be everywhere. They might be uh, the, the best, the best hogs, <laughs> the best hogs ever. <laughs> I think they deserve at least one feature film. That's all that I'm trying to say <laughs> is that we should thank them for their service right. and Brad Pitt should be involved right. and I think it'll be great. I agree. I agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll be right back with more ridiculous news after this short break. There's plenty to celebrate in March and Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. As someone who lives for politics, when a major scandal unfolds, it was shocking. I have to know what were they thinking? Backroom deals. Huge amounts of money. CIA secrets. Sets off a firestorm in Washington. Affairs. No way this guy's got a mistress. Corruption. I knew I was a dead man. Warning, it's even messier than you thought. United States of Scandal with Jake Tapper, Sunday at 9 on CNN. Billie Eilish and Phineas O'Connell, they're with us today on Crew Call. I'm your host, Anthony DeLisandro. Billy's vocals, it was automatic art. You know, I had to like choose a more challenging route than just like da 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 da. You know what I'm saying? Like it could have been like easier. And a lot of people have asked me like, how did you choose to have it be so soft and like so simple? And what else was it gonna, like that's what the song wanted. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Crew Call podcast on Deadline. Confused, you are now tuned in to ridiculous news. 
All right, y'all. So we're back and very excited to talk about this next story with you, Marietta. Uh, it is about the child mullet championships. Uh, so I didn't know this was a thing, but NPR covered this. Um, <laughs> there's a USA mullet championship and uh, it's exactly what that sounds like. So uh, according to organizers, the contest has grown from a local competition in Michigan in 2020 to a national extravaganza uh, of all types of styles. And this year's participants are supporting the full spectrum of the infamous haircut from patriotic vibes, featuring a shorn American flag to the classier Mozart-esque flowing curly locks look. And the article also mentions some other names for mullets that I'd never heard before. We were talking about this a little bit beforehand, <laughs> Marietta, but the article mentions phrases like a Kentucky waterfall uh, as a term for a mullet as well as a uh, Tennessee top hat uh, or even a Missouri compromise, which is interesting. <laughs> I don't know if I follow that. Um, but yeah, and um, contestants pay $10 uh, to enter. And CBS reports that all of the donations are going to the Michigan Wig Foundation for Kids, which sounds awesome. And uh, first place winners each take home a whopping $2,500 prize. I would love to see pictures because I was just thinking like regular mullet competition, but like I didn't even know that Mozart had a mullet. That's so punk rock of Mozart. I would never have thought of that. Mm -hmm. And I guess, you know, uh, I'm not a mullet expert, <laughs> you know, but it's like if you're going by the definition of business in the front, party in the back, to me, I feel like that really expands what a mullet could even be, you know, like. So it's just like, so it's just like, yeah, like, uh, you might have a Mozart mullet. You might have any type of mullet, as long as I guess there's like contrast, uh, in between the front and the back of the head. Yeah. Yeah. You could have a ballet mullet. You could have mm -hmm. a, oh, I wonder if they incorporate hardware at all. If you could have like a mullet hat. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. I really wish that mullets were, it sounds like they're like the same level of like adornment as like a princess. You know how they used to have those huge, huge wigs? I do. Yeah. yeah with mm -hmm. like boats in them. I want to see a mullet with a boat in it, you know? Um, that's all I'm saying. Like, yeah, like a beautiful scene. Um, mm -hmm. a, a mullet with a mode of transportation. Yes. Yeah. I love transportation. Ooh, put a toy train in there. Uh, that would be incredible. How do we become mm -hmm. mullet judges? That's what I want to know. What do I have? Who do I have to impress to get on this mullet committee? Isn't that a good question, Marietta? Well, you're in luck uh, because the national recruiter for uh, mullet judges heard that we were covering this story. And they actually came by today. So would you want to interview? With oh my them? goodness, I would love that. I've been waiting for that. Okay, great. So I'm going to let them in right here. <clears throat> Hello, uh, I am here. We are always in search <laughs> of new mullet judges for our annual competition. We take nothing but the best. And Marietta, we've heard fantastic things about you. Uh, we've heard that you bring people together. And that's a whole lot about what this mullet championship is about. So I'll start. I'll start the interview real simple. <laughs> so we'll start off with when did you first realize that you loved mullets? Oh, yeah. It has to be like age three. Ah, I think. Great age. <laughs> great age. Great age to realize you can grow a mullet. Great age to be able to identify mullets in the wild. You know, 
um, I feel like that's when I first really became aware of them as um, a fashion statement, I would say. Well, you know what? I'm going to give that answer a check plus one for one. Yes. Uh, next. This is a pretty important question here. What? 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 Why? Why? Why do you want to be a mullet championship judge? So I know I'm not part of the mullet community right now. And so I feel like I offer kind of an outsider perspective into the mullet world. And I think already I, I have some great ideas to offer about... Um, how to make your mullet more ornamental and um, maybe also not my place, but would just love to see more like Christmas trees happen, but once a year, but mullets are year round, mm. you know, and Agreed. <laughs> and they kind of feel like a celebration every time you see one. Well, you know, Marietta, I love that answer. And something that I want to follow up with you on or just hop on with what you said. Mm -hmm. Is that, you know, you mentioned being an outsider, not feeling a part of the community, and that's exactly what we want to address with this championship series. Okay. So even if you don't have a mullet, we still want you to feel like you're part of the community. You know, we want everyone to be able to enjoy this hairstyle, even if you yourself don't have this <laughs> hairstyle. So you coming in, wanting to participate, even if you yourself may not be rocking a mullet, would be a great asset to this contest and what we're about. Tell me one final thing. One final thing. When it comes to mullets, when it comes to when it comes to championships overall, mm -hmm. what 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 would you want to see? You know, what would you want to see that you have not yet seen in any competition show? So this goes beyond mullets. This is just about competition shows in general. What do you feel like is missing? from the competition genre, period. Ooh, more grandeur, more blimps, like more aircraft. Um, you know, right now I feel like competitions are too grounded uh, in like, uh, they're contained by hotels and ballrooms. Um, why, why are we keeping them on the floor when we could be going upwards with them, you know? Much like a mullet, we need to be business on the ground, but party in the air. So what I'm hearing is mullets in space. Yeah, that's what I want. So basically Muppets in space, but you're just changing two letters. <laughs> Marietta, you're, you're hired. Our people will be in touch. Thank you so real much. Real soon. Thank you, thank you, thank yeah. you. I gotta go. <laughs> Bye. Well, Marietta, that's pretty cool that you just booked a new gig. Yeah, I'm really excited. I awesome. completely forgot to ask about the healthcare benefits, but... I'm back. <laughs> what do you want to know about healthcare benefits? <laughs> wow, that was so fast. You're so responsive. The um, I got great hearing. <laughs> it's just because you don't have any hair in the way, you know? Mm -hmm. Well, flowy mullet. I guess as a as a judge, I know I'd be giving a lot to your organization, but I'm just wondering what happens if I'm harmed in <laughs> the time of judging mullets. You know, sometimes there's like a loose scissor or a spiky hair. Right. Complete health care, <laughs> completely covered, 100,000%. 100, we love that. All right. Got to go. Bye. Wow. Meredith, it sounds like you just negotiated like... A complete healthcare <laughs> upgrade. Yeah, know? that's so great for me. I love that. Yeah, yeah, I love that. Uh, so I, I think we got time for one more story, Marietta. Okay. And this one that was really interesting. So this comes out of the Smithsonian Magazine, and it's about the Met. And the Met returns 
two stolen artifacts to Nepal. Uh, so this was recently the Metropolitan Museum of Art returned two archaeological artifacts to Nepal, a 10th century stone statue and a 13th century wooden strut. And I guess through research, they figured out that, hey, this actually belongs in Nepal. It, it doesn't really make sense for our museum to hold on to these artifacts because uh, we don't own it technically. Uh, and there was a quote uh, from the article that said, the museum is committed to the responsible acquisition of archaeological art and applies rigorous provenance standards both to new acquisitions and to works long in its collection in an ongoing effort to learn as much as possible about ownership history. And I just thought that, that was really interesting to see. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. It should. I feel like they probably have more than just two things, but I guess it's a good start. Well, yes, it's good that you mentioned that um, because in recent years, repatriation, I hope I'm saying that right, repatriation efforts have been gaining momentum at museums around the world. Uh, and at the Met alone, Nepal isn't the only country currently tracking down its artifacts. Uh, so as the Times, Tom Mashberg and Graham Bowley reported just recently, Cambodian officials are claiming that dozens of objects in the museum's collection rightfully belong to them. And uh, there's a quote that says, the burden of proof should be on the Met to prove that the Met has the right to legally own Cambodia's national treasures. Bradley Gordon, a lawyer representing Cambodia's government, tells the Times. Uh, he adds, the Met sets the standards for other museums, so it's important that they are totally transparent. So it seems like this is something that stretches beyond just these two um, artifacts from Nepal. Yeah, yeah. And I feel like they could... Since they have it there, maybe they could just take a picture of it or, you know, make a one that looks of a 3D version and then and then you can just give it back and then we'll still think it's cool to see it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Or there could yeah. be another movie where I support them coming and taking it. Also, I think that yeah. that's very good. Just yeah. get Nicolas Cage to work <laughs> for Cambodia and it'll be perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so so hopefully this is a trend that we see where museums, you know, do it seems like the point of the museums, right, to research where these things came from and find their rightful homes, whatever that means, you know. Uh so a cool story to see. Uh and it'll be interesting to see where that continues to go at the Met and as well as at other uh museums. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Marietta, uh, it's around that time that we move on to one of our favorite segments uh, called The Spring of Inspiring Inspirations. So this is where uh, we share an inspiring quote to send you on the rest of your day, morning, night, wherever it is that you're going. Uh, so this quote is from Aretha Franklin. Uh, and the quote is, sometimes what you're looking for is already there. And I thought that that was inspiring and cool to keep in mind. I love that. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, Marietta, I got to say, thank you so much for coming back on the podcast. It's always such a pleasure to share time with you. And I really appreciate you being here. Uh, if there's anything that you'd like to share with the audience in terms of how they can support you, where they can find you, anything at all, uh, please share. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast. It's such a joy and a treat. And the I guess I'm on Instagram um, at Marionetta and um I have some exciting shows that I'll I'll put on uh, my Instagram story there. And just thank you so much. Awesome. 
And as always, thank you, the listener, for tuning into Ridiculous News. We know you have a lot of choices on what to listen to, so we genuinely thank you for spending your time with us. And you can email us at ridiculousnews at iheartmedia.com. And on Facebook and IG, follow Ridiculous News. And you can check out our comedy videos at Mark Kendall Comedy. Bye, y'all. Ridiculous News is hosted by Mark Kendall and Bill Worley. Executive producers are Ben Bolin and Noel Brown. Produced and edited by Tari Harrison. Research provided by Casey Willis. And theme music by Four Eyes and Dr. Delight. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. There's plenty to celebrate in March. And ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. Martha Stewart, the original influencer. When I think about anything, I think about the way that she did it first. The media mogul. The six years ahead, she saw what was coming. The prisoner. The rise, the fall and the reinvention of an American icon. Once Martha paved the road, everybody else pretty much copied her. A CNN original series, The Many Lives of Martha Stewart, now streaming on Max. Hey, this is John Ridley. And this is Matt Carey, documentary editor at Deadline. And welcome to Talk Talk. John, we've got a hard-hitting episode today. A lot of controversy well, maybe we should put the word controversy in quotes in the documentary field about the nominees for Best Documentary Feature. We're going to get into that with some amazing panelists. You get a shot, but the individuals behind every one of those images, they're complicated and they are human. This has been Doc Talk. Thank you. Great Thank conversation. You. Thank you.